The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, also whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known them to you. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. The Gospel of the Lord. All right, well, good morning again. My name is Cody Quinn. For those who do not know, and I am the pastor of Students and Connections here at One Fellowship. And it's always an honor. It's always a joy to be able to stand on the stage and, and, and preach and to share the word of God. So um, I'm honored to be here today. And before we dive in, let me say one more quick word of prayer. So let's pray. Father, today we, we, we thank you. Um, the, the reason we're here, the, uh, the ability to be here, to take the next breath, Father, each and every second is a blessing. And so, God, we thank you for that. God, I pray that as I speak, that it would be you speaking. And, Father, that your words would cut us to the hearts so that leaving this place, we would be more and more like you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So you can see the title of my message on the screen, Unity, Not Uniformity. Unity, Not Uniformity. We are... Uh, closing out John chapter 17. We're closing out Jesus's time right before he goes off to his trial while he's in the upper room with his followers. And his last words to his disciples or his last word that his disciples are overhearing because this is a prayer from Jesus to God the Father. So they're overhearing this conversation is all about unity and how to embrace the differences and um, live as one, although there's a lot of differences in the world. So as we begin, let me ask you this question. What is your, um, what do you remember about church growing up? Some of you may be an empty canvas, a blank canvas. You may not have grown up in church. So your view of church may be a little different from mine, but what's your earliest memories of church? For me, a lot of things come to mind. I went to um, Beulahville Free Will Baptist Church in, in Beulahville, North Carolina. And uh, there's a lot of things to remember. One of the very first things that comes to mind is this, this thing we used to do on Sunday mornings where all the kids would come on stage. We would all have bells, different colored bells. And our kids' leader would be in the front row. I remember they always sat on their knees and they'd hold up these different flashcards that had different colors on them, which corresponded to our bells. And the music would be playing, and as Miss Heather usually or Miss Robin would hold up these flashcards, we would just be going crazy with our bells if we saw our color. And you'll see a picture here on the screen from one Christmas. I'm on the right side of this picture, 
Um, to the left of the group, I got the, the really nice bowl cut going on, little oversized t-shirt, the belt that's way too long that's folded down my knee down there. Um, classic picture. I had no idea this picture existed until I started looking. Um, my you know, home church celebrated 100 years, uh, you know, being a church a few years ago. And so they had all these old pictures on Facebook. And so there is a lot of our, our kids' ministry at that point. Um, but I, that's one memory. That's one thing that sticks out to me when I think about church tradition. Uh, you can throw that picture away now. Uh, <laughs> some other things that stick out, I remember there was this, as you would drive into church, there was this little part that came off as a little shelter so people could get out when it was raining. And on the side that was not attached to the building, it was made where you could climb up it. Adults and parents hated when us kids climbed up it, but we loved it. And that's one thing when I think about church and growing up in church, that's one thing I remember is as little kids climbing up this wall, getting yelled at. And then even when we got to middle school, we realized it was like one leap and we were there. We were at the top. So it wasn't even that tall. Um, I remember there was this huge bell on the outside. I know some of you guys have come to church and the lobby's full and you hear this big bell dinging in here. Paul loves to ring that bell. We had a bell similar to that um, at, at my church. It was outside. It was next to the board where you put up all the announcements for the week. And you'd have to get two kids out there. And it had a big wheel that you had to go rock back and forth. And that's how, you know, us kids really wanted to ring the bell to kind of start church, to tell everyone, hey, church is getting started. That's one thing I remember. Another thing I remember is, one kid would always get selected when it was offering time to go to the back of the sanctuary. And they had this little, you know, this thing that they would light. It looked like a big long rod with a bell on the end, but there was no bell. And you take that, they'd light the wick at the very end and you'd walk up very carefully. I don't know why they trusted us kids to do this. Walk up very carefully and light the candles on the front of the church as that's what they did before offering. And it was awesome. If you, if you got that job, there was even a little, little piece on it you would mash down to make the fire go out. It was incredible. I still remember that to this day. The last thing I'll mention that I remember from growing up in church, and, and I tried to find a picture of this part, um, but I came across the other picture, so I couldn't find the picture of this. But when you walked into the church from, from the main road, kind of in the back of the sanctuary, uh, it was just this big glass windows with two big glass doors, you walk into like a mini lobby. I think you call it a vestibule. I think that's the official term for that. Um, and it was super small. And then you walk in two big wood doors actually into the sanctuary. Well, in the vestibule, there was this big red chair on the left that you never sat in. If you sat in that, that was like the worst thing you could do. You don't sit in the red chair. And then on the other side, I look and there's this huge old Bible and there's a picture of Jesus. And now what, if that picture was accurate representation of Jesus is another conversation, but there was a picture of Jesus, a huge open Bible. And every time you walk in, no matter who walked in the church, it kind of draws your attention, kind of points you, okay, Bible, Jesus, let's go to church. You either look at the big red chair or that. And I know for me, like looking back on it now, I think the reason it was there is to say, hey, here's what this church is about. We're about Jesus and we're about the Bible. Take note as you walk in, here's what we're gonna, here's what the teaching is centered on. I did not think about that as a kid. 
I just wanted to flip those huge pages over. But I remember, hey, it drew my attention. It drew my attention as I walked in. And our passage today, as Jesus is closing out his high priestly prayer, is all about unity for the sake of drawing people's attention to Jesus. That's what we should be. That's what we should do. Our, how we live in this divided world, in this chaotic world as one united family should point us all or should point those to Jesus. It should draw our attention. Every time someone sees a Christian, every time someone sees believers in a group, it should draw their attention to Jesus. Which leads us to our main idea this morning is that founded in Jesus, our unity reveals God's glory. Founded in Jesus, our unity reveals God's glory. Before we dive into John 17, let me set a little context because again, this is kind of the end of a big section of scripture. Jesus is closing out his time in the upper room with his disciples. As I've already said, John 17 itself is known as the high priestly prayer. This is where Jesus prays to God. A lot of people say that the Lord's prayer is in Matthew 6. All of you guys probably know or something comes to mind when we say the Lord's prayer. One theologian that I was reading says that this is really the Lord's prayer. Matthew 6 is kind of a disciple's prayer. It's a model prayer for his disciples to pray, where this is a personal prayer that Jesus prays to God. He's not showing anyone how to pray. He himself is just praying before he goes to the cross, before he leaves the upper room and goes to the cross. But this whole upper room discourse starts in John 13. In John 13, the very first thing he says is to serve others. Lower yourself to raise others up. It's where he washes the disciples' feet. Serve others. In John 14, this is where we see the way, the truth, and the life. We see the, uh, the Holy Spirit he begins to talk about in John 14. In John 15, we have the imagery of the vine and how if we want to live life, full of joy, then we need to be plugged into the source of life, which is God, which is Jesus. And then in John 16, we see the Holy Spirit talked about again, and then we see Jesus say, I have overcome this world. You can have hope because I have overcome this world. And then we see John 17. We arrive in John 17 where Jesus turns his focus away from his disciples to his heavenly father as he knows he's about to stand trial. He knows he's about to make his walk to the cross. And at the beginning of John 17, essentially we see, and we, we heard Pastor Paul preach through these things over the past two weeks, but first is that you have to know Jesus the Son, is what Jesus gets across from the very beginning. If you want to live a full life, a meaningful life, you must know Jesus the Son. That's where everything begins. Then we see by knowing Jesus the Son, you can have full and complete joy. It's the only way. To be plugged into the source is the only way you can have full and complete joy. And then right before our passage today, he says that we must live in the world, but not of the world. We are to live in the world, but not of the world. We are to be living in such a way that people see that future promised city of perfection in this chaotic world, that we should be pointing them to something else. We are to be in the world, not of the world, which leads us to verse 20. 
So let's dive into our passage today as Jesus closes out this prayer. As Jesus starts to exit the upper room, his last words, his last words. This is what he says, starting in verse 20. And I apologize, I told the production people one translation, and then I used a different one, so the words aren't going to line up perfectly, but same thing. It's all me. Verse 20 says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you and just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me." Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you have loved me before the creation of the world. There's a lot in this scripture, but you heard over and over and over unity, 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 so that unity. We see that as Jesus is united with the Father, we are to be united in them. We are to be one. See that from verse 20 to 23. And then in verse 24, we see this hint of Jesus saying, hey, I want them to know my glory. I want them to see me in my fullness, in my glory, which points to that future perfection, fullness that we will reach to um, when this world comes to an end. We will see Jesus and we will live in perfect unity. It's all about unity. And then our passage continues in verse 25, and it says this, Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. What I love about how he closes out this prayer is he makes a vow. He says, God, just as I have been with them, I will continue to be with them. And again, this isn't him saying, hey, disciples, I'm going to be with you. This is Jesus talking to his father, his heart sharing, hey, I'm, I've been with them and I will continue to be with them. Isn't it good to know that we have a savior, that we have a God that wants to be with us? He will be for us forever. He's making a vow that will be kept. And so the big question after reading the scripture is, why does he focus on unity? Why does he make this vow to make all this come to be? Why, why, why? I think we can see in different areas of our life, hey, we know that unity works, right? We know, we, we've seen good teams. We've seen unity in the flesh. But when it comes to scripture, the reason that he's praying this and the reason that, that Jesus died on the cross is so that we can flourish, so that God may be known and that we can flourish. He wants to see us. He wants those of us who live in this world to, to be like a taste of heaven. Remember that future kingdom to come. Matt Carter says this. He says the church can be a taste of heaven. When people with different preferences, hobbies, jobs, genders, backgrounds, skin colors, 
accents, and tastes love one another with a love surpassing all human love. They open a window to heaven and people begin to feel a breeze from a far off country and in their souls awaken a long dormant hope. Have you ever stood, have you ever went hiking, stood on top of a mountain, had this nice cool breeze or stood on the edge of the beach and had this nice breeze start to blow? And how just that act makes you feel something, makes you feel a a little hope maybe, makes you feel light. This unity that we have, that we are, we're to live in unity, we're to live amongst all of our difference, amongst all the chaos, as we live united it's so that others can see this taste of heaven. It's so that others can see Jesus. And again, we know unity is best. You've, you've played sports before, you've watched sports before, or at least you know what a sport is. And you've seen, you know what a team who's working together looks like. You know what a team who has someone who thinks they're the best player on the team, lets everyone know they're the best player on the team. You know what that team also looks like how there's dysfunction and chaos because they're not playing together. But when you have a team that plays together, it flows. It it, it brings a beauty to the game, even in in little kids' sports. We know that unity helps us flourish, but sometimes in faith, we, we lack it. And so the question is, how? How do we live in this unity? Okay, we know unity is best, even if, you, even if you take Jesus out, you know unity's good. But we add Jesus in, but how do we live this out? How does this work? How do we do this? So we're gonna go through these points quickly, but point number one of how do we live in unity is release. Release. So we're gonna go to the book of Philippians chapter two. It says this, Complete my joy being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this in mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Do you have it own your mind, in your mind, to lift others up, to put your interests aside, to put your opinions, your points, your thoughts aside, to lift others up. There's a lot of things in life that we need to release so that we can help others. There's a lot of things in life that we need to let go of so that we have room for Jesus in our life. You know, there's some things that, you know, maybe you need to let go of racism nationalism, pride, selfishness, comparison, greed. The list could go on and on and on of these things that we need to let go so that we can make room in our life for this unity to happen. Because with all the differences, with all the opinions, with all that's going on out there, how do we live in unity? Well, we gotta make room. We gotta make room for others in our life. So point one is we have to Release. The base character trait of a Christian should be humility. The base character trait should be humility. As a church, we have a value of give it away, to live open-handed. And so what do you need to release today to invite others in? Point number two is to recognize. 
to recognize. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 4, says this. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the, the same God who empowers them all and everyone. And jump into verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. After you've released things in your life that are, aren't meant to be there, we got to recognize who Jesus has called us to be. we got to recognize that our differences, that our uniqueness is good. We see in Genesis that, that God is the creator of life. He's the creator of all things, which includes us. And we're created all with a similarity, created in his image. That is the thing that should draw us all together. We see in Jeremiah and Psalms that we're made with a purpose, that even in our uniqueness, even with our different gifts, our different talents, that we're made with a purpose to make Jesus famous. And in the New Testament, we read all about this mission that we were made for, which again is to make Jesus famous. We were not called to be, as one, as one writer um, wrote, Christian clones. It's unity, not uniformity. We're not supposed to be clones just walking around all being the same. It's our differences that really highlight the unity that we can have in Jesus. If you can have these different opinions, if you can vote for a different person but still live in unity, only the gospel can do that. Only being founded in Jesus can we live together with all these different differences in our life. We must recognize that we're uniquely made, but together as one, we're called to follow and to love and to represent Jesus. Which takes us to point number three, reflect, reflect. Take, bringing us back to John 17 and verse 20, it says this, and I'm gonna start in verse 20, the slide starts with verse 21, but it says, my prayer is not for them alone, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Do you hear all of the so that, just as? We are made to reflect Jesus. Just as the moon has no light itself, it reflects the sun we are to be a reflection, and forgive the dad joke, I have to say it. We are to reflect the sun. We are to reflect Jesus just as the moon reflects the sun's light. That is who we should be. People should look at us and not see Ryan, not see Cody, but they should say, man, there's something different. There's something different. Why is he making that choice? Why is he living this way? Why is he fighting for this? Why is he silent here? It's because he's living like Jesus. Kent Hughes says it this way when talking about unity. But many people never attain this, never attain unity. Not because they don't want it, but because they're not committed to working toward it with God's help. They'd rather fight for their opinion. They'd rather post about their belief. They'd rather hold to their values. 
rather than live in unison, rather than live in unity. They'd rather be the Jesus of flipping tables, where I think Jesus only flipped tables once from what I read in Scripture. We would rather cause more chaos than live in unity. But we see living in unity, it's simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. You can throw this graphic on the screen. This is a classic marriage description of as husband and wife, if you really, really want to grow closer together, you each individually have to grow closer to God. And as you grow closer to God, you will inevitably grow closer to each other. Now replace husband and wife with whoever's name you need to put in there. Maybe it's your neighbor's name. Maybe it's your, your name on one side and your neighbor's name on the other. It's your name on one side and the person you always argue with on Facebook on the other side. You have a part to play in the dysfunction and the chaos in the world. Whether you want to accept it or not, I have a part to play. I'm not always striving intentionally for unity. A lot of times I just want to be heard. A lot of times I just want people to see what I call the truth. When Jesus just prays for unity here, are you founded in Jesus? Are you founded in Jesus? We must be chasing after him if we want to live in unison with others. We would love to live in a united world, but on our own terms and our own belief systems. Jesus says that he's the belief system. He is the one unifier for all. May we today fall under his leadership and lordship as we figure out, as we process what we may need to release in our life to make room. As we process and figure out and recognize who Jesus has called us to be individually so that we can be united with all, coming with our full selves. And may we reflect Christ as we live united in a world that is so broken apart, may we be the, the unity, may we be the team that people find that they look at and say, man, there's a beauty to how they're navigating this world. There's a beauty to how they're making choices, to how they're living in this life. May we truly be a reflection of Jesus and the Father and their unity and their unison in our lives as we unite with those around us. And so what's one practical application? What's one way you can live that out this week? Here's one option for you. Find someone that you need on the other side of that triangle, someone that you disagree with, someone that you may go back and forth with on Facebook. Find someone you disagree with and invite them over for dinner. Now, if you get an invite, you know, it is what it is, okay? <laughs> But find someone you disagree with that you don't like, like just be honest, that you disagree with, invite them over for dinner. All the time we see in scripture is Jesus reclined at the table, eating with those that disagrees with him, eating with those that's gonna betray him, eating with those who are literally gonna take him to the cross. He's not fight, like he does want them to believe in him, but he's fighting for unity. He's fighting for relationship that will lead to a new faith. May we fight for unity. May we fight for relationship over believe what I believe. Invite someone over for dinner this week. And if you get invited, no hard feelings, right? Jesus, may we be more like you. Let us pray. Father.
you live a life of unity. From the very beginning, as our passage said, from before creation, you and the Father have been this representation of unity, different but the same. And so God, I, I pray that you would give us the strength, that you would give us the courage to live this out. It can be so difficult with people who believe differently, people who, who we say are believing lies and God, we just want them to know the truth. The way that you prayed for people to know you is by living in unity. God, help us to be united. Help us to come together as a team, as a group of believers, as a group of Christians who just want to make you famous. We're striving to know you better and better on our own so that we can know you better and better with others and so that those outside the family look in and say, man, I want to be a part of that. God, may we be a good reflection of you. Help us to know what we need to release. Help us to see our true identity in you. And God, more than ever, help us to be more like you. Help us to have your heart, your desires, your faith. It's in your name we pray, amen.